You're listening to By the Well, a lectionary-based podcast for preachers recorded on the land of the Wurundjeri people. Hi, I'm Howard Wallace. And I'm Robin Whitaker. And joining us today again is Rachel Kromberger, Uniting Church Minister at Wesley Uniting Church. Welcome, Rachel. Thanks, Robin. Thanks, Howard. Good to be here. Good to have you. And this week we're in Pentecost 18. The readings set down there are Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 1 and then 4 to 7, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 to 15, and the Gospel is Luke 17, 11 to 19. Shall we begin with Jeremiah? Yes, we will, as usual. <laughs> as usual. We're back to Jeremiah after the brief um, excursion with Lamentations. Mm. And here we have really quite a um, a significant passage in, in the book of Jeremiah. Um, this passage today is set quite late in the period of um, is, oh, Jerusalem's existence. In fact, it's at the start of Zedekiah's reign. He's the last king mm. before the final destruction of Jerusalem and the temple and the city. Um, it's a fairly quiet period, but we need to, to recognise that already people have been taken away into exile. So there are people in Babylon. Uh, Jeremiah appears to be back in, in Jerusalem with others, and he's writing a letter to some of those who have settled down in Babylon or haven't settled, as the case may be. Um, and he writes this letter to them with rather surprising sort of content. Uh, he speaks to them, not of um, you know, holding out hope and strong hope for returning soon, but rather to settle into life in Babylon. In other words, to plant gardens, to build whatever you need to build, um, to marry, to have children, to watch your children have children, um, and to seek, the interestingly, the welfare of the city in which you're living. Mm. This is quite contrary to what people might expect. Yeah, it really is a kind of... Um, I think that context is so helpful, Howard, because... You know, we know there were these waves of exiles, mm. and so some people might have been in Babylon for years at this point. Oh yes, yes. Um, and and I mean, this is Jeremiah's mm. missive or letter mm. is juxtaposed with where we get just after the lectionary cuts us off. So keep reading to verse eight at least, um, <laughs> because it, you know his message is juxtaposed with those fa- false prophets who delude them with "you're going to get to go back," you yes, know, just yes. just hang out, hope it'll all be fine, kind of you can return to the way things were. Yes or whatever they're saying, and Jeremiah is... I mean, and we saw a few weeks ago in the lectionary, Jeremiah was imprisoned at one point by his mm-hmm. own king mm-hmm. because of the, his message about destruction. Yes, he, yes. These were contrary or unpopular messages. He has quite perhaps. a famous um, confrontation with a prophet, who I think his name is Hilkiah, uh, who is obviously preaching hope for the people yep. and some sort of immediate salvation. Um, and so he's constantly combating these uh, messages of an easy sort of resolution mm. to the present dis- destruction and difficulties. Yeah. What do you notice, yeah. Rachel? What do you want to draw out of this passage? I think Jeremiah's caution about you know um, looking for God's presence doesn't mean looking for happy endings mm. is mm. really important for us. There are t- seasons in our lives which... Um, do have to be endured because there isn't an immediate resolution and, mm-hmm. 
you know, for um, some communities, the church is in a, a hard place. Yep. At it's the rede- moment, and yes, he's redefining hope too, isn't it's he? It's completely yeah. redefining yeah. hope and saying, you know, God, God is there, present mm. with you. God is faithful. Settle down, mm. put down roots, mm. do what yes. needs to be done. I mean, I've lived in houses where, you know, I I knew I was leaving in six months or in three months, and still planted a veggie garden, knowing that I wouldn't. You might not enjoy it, or I'll get to enjoy it. But there's something about. Um, saying, well, we're here now. Mm. Let's do what what the season calls us to do here and now and assume that God's faithfulness mm. in the midst of it. And he, he's redefining hope, but he's also redefining sort of salvation, if you want to mm. use that sort of term. Actually, the interesting thing um, exegetically is that he casts his message, his letter, in the form of a, an oracle of hope. But what mm. he's saying is not, you know, you'll, it'll be all right. You know, mm. God will intervene. God will do this or that. You settle down. <laughs> you live life as you would have lived it wherever else you may have lived. Mm. Um, and that is, is where you will find God in this place. It's interesting. There's no reference to punishment here in this context where no. he has been using yeah. Mentioning that yeah. in past terms, I'm also really interested in um, verse seven: <laughs> seek the welfare of the city mm. where I where I have sent you into exile. Yes. Mm. They don't mm. want to be there. It wasn't their choice to be there. Mm. They've ended up there, and now God's saying, "Seek the welfare of that city." That's a really big call, and I'd be mm. really um, interested to know how um, migrant communities experience this text yeah. and. Yeah. Um, it's so hard for them to um, maintain cultural identity and language and um, mm. hold their families in the richness of the life mm. um, that they've left behind in their home country. So what? at what cost um, do you seek the welfare of the city? Mm. In what which- do you have to let go of to mm. do that of your own... Cultural yeah. expectations, yeah. or it's a really big, hard thing to do. It is, and and but one of the things that's not sort of expressed here is the question of how do you still maintain who you are? Yeah. How do you continue to worship God in that context when you are um, living life within the city and praying for and its well-being, etc. One of the things that really struck me is in verse six. This instru- after the you know go take wives and have sons and daughters mm. and we were debating <laughs> before this whether the wives would include marriage of foreigners or he means mm. take other yeah. Jewish wives and keep keep doing what you would do at home. We know later on there were foreign wives and this became yeah. an issue in the yes. community. But in verse 6 he uses this language of multiply which echoes creation. It's the same verb mm. we get in the creation mm. story. So again I, I, I was struck by there's something about you're in this place you didn't want to be it wasn't what you thought life was going to be like. But not only is God there, but God is telling you to do what God has always yeah. told you to do, like the multiply and be fruitful kind of vision yeah, of creation, yes. which, of course, we might <clears throat> want to interpret a bit differently these days given we live on an overpopulated planet. But originally it was about God's blessing and abundance and fruitfulness. Yes, I mean, it's picking up on, on the promise to Abraham back in chapter yeah. 12 of Genesis. Uh, where the nations would be blessed through the descendants yep. of, of Abraham. And we see that in the enslaved community in Egypt and we yes, see it in yes, the wilderness yes. years as well. Mm. That, yeah, they're, they're signs of, of God's presence and blessing and you will see God's presence and blessing in in the growth of your family in this place. Yeah, 
Yep. Mm. And in doing the things you've always done, but now, I mean, for me, there's, there's a great comfort in that, but there is also challenge, right? Cause there's, this is saying life has not taken you to where you thought you'd be. Mm. And I think a lot yeah. of people get to a certain age and stage and, and life is not quite what they've, you know, they thought they'd be married by now or they mm. thought they'd be in a certain kind mm. of job or whatever it was. Um, but there's something about, you know, God, Jeremiah saying, God is not only there with you, but also God says, do the things I want you to do regardless yes. of Embrace where you find where yourself. You are, yeah. Try and live out the past again. Yeah, there's yeah. something about being being present and, embr- yeah, embracing mm. that. And don't withhold things from God's capacity to bless you. You know, mm. like participate mm. with God in mm. God's desire to, to bless mm. you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. There's a real shift sort of going on in here. I mean, rather than when Israel sort of are back in their land, they're fairly protective in most yep. cases of it and of their life in that context. Um, but now they're pushed out into the wider world and there's a sense there's a change taking place well, in their relationship with God, but within the community too, which they need to embrace. Yeah. And we, and we see that to some extent when we read books like Esther um, and other works like that where people are living amongst so-called foreigners um, and yet prospering. Yes. And how you do it's not easy. No, and we're going to see some of the same mm-hmm. tensions in um, the second letter of Timothy. Mm-hmm. So we might go there next. Mm-hmm. So the reading is 2 Timothy 2, 8 to 15. Uh, is it worth saying something about who wrote this letter or what we notice about the beginning before we get into chapter 2? I think so. <laughs> so the letter begins, um, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God for the sake of the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus to Timothy, my beloved child. So the author claims to be Paul, but um, scholars... Uh, understand Timothy to have been written substantially later than um, Mm -hmm. most of Paul's letters, either um, right at the end of the first century or into the second century. So, um, and earlier, um, so that introduction is followed by last week's passage about Lois and Eunice. So Timothy's at least a third generation Christian in this story, in this um, in this letter, yeah. yeah, we get a little hint at that in in the content of the letter, despite that um, uh, titling mm. of the um, writer. So um, similarly, yeah. similarly to the exiles in Babylon, yeah, we're looking now at a, you know second or third generation community of Christians figuring out what life means as a distinct community in um, in a cultural minority. Uh, living out mm. faith and relating to authorities and relating to um, other faith practices. And Cultural norms. Yeah. Yes. I mean, a lot of people avoid this letter because it does have some problematic <laughs> instructions about what women should and shouldn't do. Those aren't today's readings, so we'll just skip right over those. But that reflects some of the tensions of what's been grappled with here, which is what does it look like to be faithful to Jesus, now we're a couple of generations on, but still living in a world that, in fact, might be more hostile, not less, depending where in the empire you are. Mm. Um, there's lots of bits of wisdom and kind of ethics in here, but in, in verse 8 we start with this sort of, you know, what is a 
core epistolary kind of move, remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead. So always going back to just that basic gospel, Jesus Christ died and raised. Um, but I saw some resonances perhaps with Jeremiah that, you know, there is a, there's a reminder of the resurrection of Christ that um, they're reminded they share in and of the glory of Christ. But we also have language here of suffering and hardship and being chained up like a criminal. This is the author's voice. So following Jesus is, you know, is difficult and has come with great conflict and challenge, I think, at this point in the letter. And yet there's also a, a, a traditional element that comes in here with a quotation yep. um, in verse 11. You know, if we've died with him, we will also live with him. Yeah. And if we endure, we will also reign with him. Yeah. So he's evoking those sort of images from maybe the kingdom of God type of mm. um, life and, and resurrected life, but he's saying that one has to work through the issues that are confronting us. Yeah, and there's promise in that, right? Mm. You know, oh, yeah. even if we face death, mm. we will be raised with him mm. and we will ultimately reign with him. Mm. You know, th- it's a way of saying this this present circumstance is not the end. It's not the, yes, it's not the final. It's Jeremiah was saying in yeah. his letter. Yeah, it's very prophetic. Anything else we'd want to delve into here for I, preachers? I really like this idea that even though we as people of faith might endure um, some kind of you know, being chained or suffering of hardship, that doesn't reflect the power of the gospel in the world. The The gospel remains free. You know, there's this idea of the gospel being separate to mm. beyond us and is um, is free and and the um, Jesus' death and resurrection remains good news for the world um, regardless of what our individual experience is and I think um, you know maybe that's something to um, remember for church communities yep um, that uh, you know the gospel remains good news mm. you know this is mm. this is something that's in the world that's um, that's not compromised um, because our life isn't working out how we thought or our personal circumstances are are especially difficult or mm. Um, our mm. church communities yes. struggling, um, that that the gospel is independent of all of that. Yes, and and the promises of God remain in them. Yeah, so I think there's there's quite a few resonances preachers could play with here with both with the Jeremiah and you know depending on the nature of your community to you know the stuff we were saying before about identity and culture and I mean I think you know anyone who's got the experience of being a migrant or children of migrants knows this very well. But even as Christians, we often live in this sort of um, we've inherited language of the them and us, the world, and mm. you know how we be in the world yes. but apart from the world kind of is the gospel, yes. um, you know Pauline language. Um, I think a lot of us might want to critique and collapse those kinds of boundaries because we are, of course, always both in the world and of Jesus. Mm. But what that looks like is an ongoing conversation in our communities and. Sitting with Second Timothy mm. might help us think about some of those things. Yeah, and I think many people, um, I think it helps to try to name some of the, the um, identities that we live, that we each live with. You know, we mm. we all have multiple kind of aspects to. Because um, I think they're suggesting that, well, the two readings we've had so far suggesting that you know we're going to find God with us in surprising places. Yeah, places that are. 
yeah. unexpected from the past tradition. And among <coughs> unexpected people mm. sometimes as well. Or working, in Timothy's case, maybe working through difficult issues. Mm. Yep, definitely. Did you know you could join our Facebook group, By the Well, for extra content and discussion? So Luke 17, 11 to 19, is the story known as the 10 lepers. It's quite a bit to unpack here. Mm. Should we start with what leprosy is or is not? On the, yes. On, <laughs> I, don't know. I mean, it, it's just always worth saying lep- leprosy exists still in parts of the world. Mm. Um, so this is not some ancient disease that is unknown. So Known technically as Hansen's disease. Yeah, yeah, thank you. But in the Bible, this term leprosy tends to get used generically for a kind of skin condition. So we need to just be a little bit careful about drawing, say, direct parallels to Hansen's disease, I think. But we can see, again, we have in the text here these glimpses of kind of historical practices. Um, Jesus is on the way to Jerusalem. He's somewhere between Samaria and Galilee, which will become important for who he's talking to. Um, ten lepers approach him, but they keep their distance, we're told. So this would be the practice. If you, if there was a worry that your skin disease was at all contagious, you had to keep your distance. And so it's, to me there's almost a humorous element if you were trying to imagine this story of this group staying at a safe distance, which might be unhumorously far too familiar during COVID, mm. but you know, kind of yelling out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us, and he sort of yells back, um, go show yourselves to the priests. It's, it's, it's healing by sort of proxy. Well, I think all those people who went to see their GP and sat in their car while the GP mm. masked and shielded, yes. you know, um, called out to them from the middle of the car park. Uh, you this know, might be familiar. might be quite familiar. <laughs> or had a telehealth appointment over the phone and you don't actually get anyone to touch you or see you face-to-face. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Um, and I mean, the other thing in here that's quite striking is that unlike the Luke 5 version where Jesus does touch a leper and, you know, he often touches people to heal them, although he does also heal by verbal command, um, here he simply tells them to go to the priests, which is the expected ritual, right? Go show yourself. Only the priest can declare you clean enough to re-enter community. And um, it's somehow in obeying that and going that they're made, that they're healed. Um Accepting Jesus' authority to say. Yeah. But it's also accepting the law. They're acting in a thoroughly Jewish way. I mean, they don't approach too close to him and you have this raised voice situation and then they're told to go to the priests. It's not Jesus who tells them that the healing's been successful. That's up to the priests to assess. Yeah, yeah. So there's a sense that he's sending them totally right back into the heart of of Jewish traditions and rituals that... um, Yes, yeah. and, and where they might not have been able to fully participate in the worshipping community because yeah. of a perceived contagious disease. That's right. Um, Jesus, the first thing Jesus wants them to do with their healing is, you know, not to go to a party, but to go to go back to the go. worshipping community. You know, yes. Um, the first port of call is is to give them an opportunity to worship God in community. Yeah, I think that's significant. What about this one who returns? Oh, I love this mm. bit. <laughs> Tell us why, Rachel. <laughs> oh, I just the the, um, the the prose is is um, is so interesting. Um, so they all went. Uh, Jesus says, "Go and show yourselves to the priests." Plural. Mm-hmm. Um, they went. They were made clean. 
one of them turned back, praising God with a loud voice, um, came to Jesus and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. And by the way, it was the one of the ten who was a Samaritan. You know, Luke, just yeah, kind of as little. Well, we don't know about the others, do we? As yeah. it is. No, but it's almost an aside, isn't it? And yes. he was a he Samaritan, was, yes. but it's not unimportant. Um, no one gave praise to God except this foreigner. So what's mm. interesting to me is that um, uh, Amy Jill Levine t- uh, suggests that the nine Jewish lepers would have gone to one priest and the Samaritan leper would have gone to his own priest mm. in a, at a different temple. Um so he was on his own, um, but the response is he, he thanks Jesus for healing him, but the big thing that happens is that he praises God. So he recognises God's action in what Jesus has done and mm. therefore recognises who Jesus is. Yes, which is important in relation to the picture of them um, staying at a distance and mm. then being directed to the priests. I mean, it's all... Uh, as according to the law, and yet out of that action they recognise who Jesus is yes. and yes. what Jesus has done. Yep. Yeah, that language mm. in verse 15 of praising God is is mm. is key. He's not coming back to thank Jesus as a human healer. Like no. We know there were roaming mm. healers at this time. Mm. Yep. It's not oh, Jesus the man who saved him, but it is the recognition that God has done something in this action. Mm. Which is um, one step beyond chapter 5. I think so. The healing back there. Yeah, I think we're, um, you know, as Jesus is, you know, and again that context of being between Samaria and Galilee explains why there might be a Samarian in the mix. Mm. Um, but he's also on the way to Jerusalem. So as he gets closer to Jerusalem, he's, mm. you know, we get these stories that go to Jesus' identity mm. um, and we get a little bit more revealed yes, yes. <laughs> as we kind of get Do to the cross. Do you also think that it's suggesting that, that really full healing is not just the, the physical Remedy, oh, absolutely, but actually coming mm. back and, and praising God for that, yeah, development of faith in that context. And there's something about recognizing where God is active in mm. our lives that is itself healing, regardless of yes. what's going on yes. physically. Yeah, there's a fullness of life, an abundance mm. of life that mm. that happens when we acknowledge God's activity. Yep, among us and in us. Yeah, I mean this. This section ends in verse 19 with um, your faith has made you well as the NRSV translation, which I can understand why they've gone with that. But the Greek is your faith has saved you. It's mm. the sodzo save word. Mm. Now, that that needs unpacking, right? Because we don't want it to be like yes. you're only saved if you have enough yes. faith. It yes. gets back to last week's conversation about how much faith do people have. And we know that's been problematically applied. In fact, I was reading on Twitter just this week of a woman saying, you know, um, who has a a disability and saying the amount of times that my church insisted on praying over me mm. to heal my disability and then me being told it was because I lacked faith that that was mm. not healed, right? So we have to be so careful and, I mean, preachers will hopefully know their congregations but we need to be really mindful of who's hearing our language when we start to talk mm. about healing. Maybe greater healing might have existed for that woman if the church had put a ramp in so that she could Exactly, and, and told her she was loved and made in the image of God the way she was. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. But there's something fuller in this language of your faith has saved you that I also want to keep because it, 
it takes us beyond the physical healing, to go back to your question, mm. Howard, where the fullness of what's made whole here is not just the physical body yes, but yes. the return to community, mm. the return to the faith community, the ability to come touch and recognise mm. God in Jesus. I mean, I think all of that is part of it. There's also an interesting um, thing here. You know, the Samaritan is the model, a sort of model disciple yeah. person in the story mm. and um, – and the two things that, or the, there's a number of things that the Samaritan does. He approaches Jesus and asks for help. He accepts Jesus' instruction. He give thank, gives thanks to Jesus for what he's done and he praises God. So mm. um, all of those actions are interesting for us as people of faith, looking mm. to this model disciple person. Um, you know, we can go back to what we know about the Good Samaritan and remember mm. that the Samaritan is um, an, an other character in the story. He's mm. not from within the community, someone from outside the community. So um, an unexpected person who is the model disciple, like in the Good Samaritan story, is um, important to maintain. But liturgically it's really interesting, like, you know, the opportunity here to talk with our congregations about the difference between praise and thanksgiving, which are two different forms of Mm. prayer Mm -hmm. and, um, and the importance of having a language for both and what, that means for us as a community and what kind of postures um, mm. they take us into um, mm. in the way that we um, that we relate to God as individuals and as, as communities. And not, I mean, you use the word posture, so I don't know if you've actually meant that as more than verbal assent, but I mean, he prostrates himself. Yes, so literally. as Christians, yep. we're really quite bad at using our bodies in worship. It's something mm. I, you know, if you watch Muslims pray, they use their bodies, you know, in, yeah. a, in a way we don't. But um, so maybe this is a Sunday for some prayers in which people are invited to um, stand use or gestures kneel or, or, or open their hands or yep. yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of traditions do still kneel, but a lot don't. As long as you don't ask me to kneel. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Some some of us have knees that don't let us <laughs> yeah. kneel. Um, I think the one thing that sort of strikes me too is is comparing it with the Jeremiah reading and even uh, tangentially with the Timothy reading. We're finding faith in strange places mm. again, yeah. in unexpected places. Maybe that's a better yeah. word. This person's a Samaritan, also a leper. And yeah. yet this is where faith is demonstrated mm. in this context. And we shouldn't forget this follows straight on from last week's reading about the disciples mm. requesting a little bit of faith and then this strange set of sayings yes. about yes. you do as the master tells you mm. if you're a slave and don't expect thanks. Um and so we've had sort of an implicit rebuke of the disciples for not getting it right. Mm. And here's this, I want to call this story another good Samaritan, yes, <laughs> not yep. the ten lepers. Um, here we have another good Samaritan exemplifying what faith looks mm. like, mm. this time instead of it being acts of service and love towards a neighbour mm. um, who's not immediately your neighbour. <laughs> but, yeah, through all the things Rachel just said and and. Mm. Yeah. And even though this is not a story about just giving thanks for something that's yeah. been done to you, um, the giving thanks is actually quite a simple. He comes back to Jesus to give thanks, give yeah. thanks to God. Yes, um, he makes an effort to do yes, it. Yes, yeah. yes. So his faith is really expressed in something quite simple and and uh, an action. small. Yep. Mm. Yep. An action. Yep. Well, thank you, Rachel Kromberger, for being with us these last two weeks. Robin, it's been a joy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Enjoyed it. 
By the Well is brought to you by Pilgrim Theological College and the Uniting Church in Australia. It's produced by Adrian Jackson. Thanks for listening.